You wish the 12 round knockout. You wish the 12 round knockout. You wish the 12 round knockout. I'm going all 12 rounds and I'm never gonna drop it. It's a 12 round knockout. You wish the 12 round knockout. You wish the 12 round knockout. I'm going all 12 rounds and I'm never gonna drop it. Focus, this time's ticking to the final moments. My opponents try to poach us, but they can't hold us. How you gonna stop it, son, when your plan's hopeless? We got a father shining on us with angelic words. I keep my gloves on. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to the KJ52 podcast. This is episode four featuring the homie Justin Sarachik. Uh, in this episode, we discuss kind of a lesser known project I did called Peace of Mind, which was a side project. Um, of Rap Rock Persuasion. Anyway, if you dig it, or if you dig this podcast, you can be a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash KJ52. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash KJ52. If you donate, you can get this song that I just posted up, along with all kinds of other unreleased stuff. Uh, check it out. And once again, thank you for tuning in. Head on over to Man, iTunes, I'm sorry. rate, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. <laughs> it's so all good. Stuff going. And, uh, so, uh, I love y'all. Let's go ahead and jump into this. This is the KJ52 Podcast, episode number four. Uh, today we are talking about, I don't know if I'd say it's a, a little-known album. To some people it's well-known. To others, they're like, you did what? But uh, kind of jumping into this KJ Podcast is sort of the width and the breadth of all the stuff I've done. And um, the reason why I got the homie Justin on here, uh, who, for those that don't know, he's one of the editors and writers at Rapzilla.com. Uh, great Christian hip-hop website, and uh, I think a couple months back, he did uh, a really in-depth article about this side project I did, and I was looking at it, and I just didn't even, believe, I couldn't believe it, but it was 13 years ago, almost probably 14 maybe when we started it, so um, right around this time, I did this uh, this project called Peace of Mind, and which was uh, which is also the title of this podcast, which, which is the fakest group I've ever, I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole thing was basically intended as uh, an experiment slash a complete farce as far as the group goes. Um, but anyway, uh, I got you on here because... Um, I'm here. You, yeah, you're here because you uh, you had... Uh, well, you, wait... Talk a little bit about yourself, and you have a you have a rap rock band, is that correct? Yeah. So, all right. Where where do, where do we want to start? So, I am Justin. Well, like, I am. Tell people a little bit about yourself, so you're not just a random person in their ears. How about that? Okay. Okay. All right. Sure. So, my name is Justin Sarachik, and I have, I guess, spent my whole life or grown up in the church. So, I've seen Christian music evolve on all ends from DC talk all the way till now. And I used to rock KJ five, two back in the day. Well, I still rock KJ now, but now I could talk to him on the phone, which is something I couldn't do when I was 14 or 15. So that, that part of me is very excited right now, but, um, yeah. So, so speaking of which I, uh, was always very interested in peace of mind because I've always liked rap and rock music and big fan of Lincoln Park and POD and, and old school pillar and all that stuff. And I've always been in bands since I'm about 12 or 13 years old. I started out as a drummer and then the, the um, musicians I started playing with got way too sophisticated for anything that I could do on the drums. So I became a vocalist because I liked writing music and wasn't that great at the drums. So, <laughs> so uh, since then, about, about I guess, 10, 10-ish or 11 years ago, I've been sort of rapping, singing, yelling, jumping around on stage, doing cool stuff like that. So Peace of Mind was always a cool album because it was that hybrid of, of hip-hop and rock um, yeah. that I've always loved to do so much. So I guess that's why I was very interested in talking about this album with you on that interview that you spoke about. Right. And guess, what do you I guess that kind of people might know you for, what, for for being a writer for Rapzilla though, right? 
Yes, I uh, I started writing with Rapzilla almost about two years ago. I used to write for the Christian Post, um, which is a very large Christian website. And then I became the editor of breathecast.com, which was uh, like a, a spinoff um, Christian entertainment version of Christian Post. Um, so I've very much been involved with, with Christian music or the music scene for a very long time, interviewing tons of people. And um, I, I interviewed you back then, actually, as well. Um, but uh, now I've found myself at Rapzilla dealing exclusively with hip-hop, which I had to learn about because I was a rock guy for so many years. And really the only hip-hop I knew was, like, you, KJ, and and John Rubin and and um, Ill Harmonics and some a lot of people that aren't even really making rap music anymore, but you're still here. So, yes, awesome. I am the I am the sweatpants of the music industry. I will never go out of style. I will never be in style. <laughs> I just upgrade to joggers. That's all I am. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. Thanks for uh, for running that down. Um, uh, that is, uh, it, it's funny to even hear, even to say the words rap rock sounds like we're talk, talking about, you know, King Tutankhamun's reign of like 3,000 years ago. Um, I think for those that may not have like come of age in the early 2000s, uh, if you came of age a little later or even a little earlier, you know, I think it's hard to really gauge how big rap rock was, say, from, I don't know say 99 maybe 98 to 2004 yeah. 2005 i mean it really yeah it started it, it started tailing off i would say 0405 right. absolutely which is of course right when i put that record out so good timing there kj um <laughs> but anyway <laughs> you um, had a solid year you had a solid year well how do you think i feel I, absolutely nothing and no touring yes I did. I, I I started my band in 2008, and I was like, let's do a rap rock band now. But now, since that's so cringy sounding, we've right. we've upped our game. So we're we are progressive metal rock experimental that just so happens to throw some rap in there. There you go. So you sound like that's, the, that's uh, how we get a, that's how we get away with it. You sound like the youth pastor who's cornering me to have me do a verse. On his uh, on his song, that's what you sound like right now, describing what you do. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, we're um, no Limp Biscuit, but I like to say we're a little better. There you we're go. Much better. Yes, you are a hard biscuit. You're not a Limp Biscuit. You are a strong biscuit. You're a biscuit. A, he- a heavy um, biscuit, very very dense. Exactly. Anyway, so um, so. I think I just give my little history on on rap rock, uh, which there is no history because I was never, it was never really a thing for me growing up outside of maybe like the era of, you know, how Run DMC would always, um, you know, combine rap and rock a lot together. Um, Right. You know what I mean? I'm I'm switching this phone before this kid starts screaming in the background. Um, and, And to be honest with you, I was never really into you know, run DMC like that. And when they would combine like guitars with their raps, I always got a little irritated, uh, in some ways. And, um, I was always into the run DMC that just rapped over breakbeats. So my thing was always breakbeats. I was never like a huge mm-hmm. metal dude, though. I did go through a sad to say hair metal phase, um, in eighth grade, uh, where I went and saw poison in concert, but we're not going to talk about that. So, Wait, did you have a mullet though? Did you have a mullet? I, I, well, <laughs> you have a you have a whole song about it. So, did you have a mullet? I, I well, I had the attempt at the mullet. See, I was basically like, I didn't have the hair that was conducive to the mullet cut. You had to have like really fine, you know, fishtail hair, and I had this sort of unkempt, curly locks that would pretty much do whatever it felt like. So, when I would attempt to grow my hair out, actually, I think I tried to do a rat tail, fifth grade. And um, I had a I up. had a mullet it just too. Just looked terrible. <laughs> just looked terrible. Just I was born in '88. My mom had me wearing a mullet till I was about three, and then she <laughs> shaved it off, which I'm very grateful for. Absolutely. So I was never really into rock 
metal. I mean, outside of the occasional thing, I think music, except for, you know, the occasional hair metal band. But I think every kid in the 80s listened to that in some way or another. But so I was such a hip hop purist that for me to combine rap and rock was like the ultimate sin. Like I always looked at rap and rock and yeah. like that was for guys who couldn't really rap. So they put rock around it to compensate for the fact they were not great rappers. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I never me. heard like great lyricism. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to hit below the belt. But there was never just like, to me, there was never great lyricism with rap rock. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until somebody showed me some Rage Against the Machine that I was like, okay, I get that. Like, Zach, Zach De La Roca, I think is how you say his name. Yes. Yeah. Like, he was an MC, just, but he was, to me, he was an MC with guitars, you know? But even then, I was right. Like, he had a message, rap. right? And I was like, he was saying something. And I think that's why I was always drawn to hip hop because groups that I was into were very much lyricists. And that's why I was like, this is just, this is just, this is just. To me, it was it was style over substance, you know. But most music is. So what am I talking about? Anyway, all I'm saying is, so I remember very clearly <laughs> around '99. And this is kind of how this whole thing started. And for those that are listening to the podcast, I'm going to put this song up uh, on the Patreon page. You can check it out. But um, around 99, 2000, when I got my first record deal, the label I was with, Essential, they said, hey, Carmen, there's a name you haven't heard. No <laughs> I like one. where this is going. You I like, like where this is going. going. It's going to get worse. Um, they said Carmen is doing, <laughs> They said Carmen is doing a movie. And we're producing yes. it, and they're like, we want you to have the title track to his movie. And his movie was called The Champion, of course. Yes. And they said, I was like, I was like, you kidding me? Like, I'm gonna get a song in a movie? You know? I was like, this is this is amazing. They're like, but they're like, there's just one catch. And I'm like, what? They're like, it's got to be a rap rock song. And that's when I was just like, here we go, here we go. I can't just. That's what used to make me so mad. Because I would be like, can I just rap? Like, isn't just rapping enough? And that's the thing that used to make me so mad about the industry is, like, you could never just rap. Especially when I came in, you always had to, like, dress it up or dress it down or water it water it down to make it palatable. You know, you couldn't just rap over breakbeats. You had to rap with guitars or you had to, like, make it poppy. Or... So I was really resentful. <laughs> so you, you had a chance to... to have the Christian version of Eye of the Tiger. Because exactly <laughs> what they told me. Champion was a boxing movie, right? Exactly. Carmen was a boxer. You know, and he was still yes. very much at like the height of his of his popularity and you know, and you just didn't hear about guys doing movies, you know, this was not a thing. And that movie was um, scandalous like, too, because he got the girl at the end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, too, is like we, we the only place that showed the movie was like three and a half hours away, and I got in the car with my wife, and we drove to go see it just so I could see my part. And there was, I think, maybe three people in the entire theater. And then I come to find out, like the most like risque scene is my song, and it was a shot of oh, this is girl's it? butt. <laughs> yeah, it was like a shot of this girl's butt dancing, like for the first minute. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like. But anyway, the point was... You're going to get pulled like, from Christian bookstores. Well, I had nothing to do with it. I'm like, you know, I, I'm looking like, I'm looking away. I'm with my wife. I'm feeling awkward. I'm like, this is not what I planned on. But anyway, they said, oh, you got to do this rap rock song. And, um, and I wrote it to a program drum beat that my man Golden Child did. And it was just a drum beat. And so... I was trying to be, you know, put some some lyrics in it, and this is the song I'm going to put up as a as a download for all my patrons. Um, this track called "The Champion," and uh, I'm sorry, "12 Round Knockout." That was the name of the track. And um, but what had happened was, so Todd took that program beat that I recorded to, and he recut guitars over it with, I think Pete Stewart, and he put live drums, and all of a sudden I was like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, for me, then the light bulb came on. And the funny thing was, mm -hmm. up to that point, I had been struggling so much with radio. Radio wouldn't play me. I was too rap. My record wasn't selling. Within three months, I got dropped. And then I get dropped. 
and then radio picks that single up. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All of a sudden, I start charting, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. All of a sudden, you know, I couldn't get any shows, and then shows started coming in over that song. You know, Christian radio stations were picking it up. And all of a sudden, there was just like this swing in, in momentum. And I thought, this is the worst. Like, I'm like, this is the least favorite song I've ever done. And all of a sudden, it's being super embraced, right? And um, I had to add it to my set. But little by little, it started to kind of change my opinion. I was like, huh, yeah. maybe there's a way I can be myself. I was like, all it is is just adding more musical energy with the guitars, you know? Then flash forward, did, you know, I get dropped. You, I'm oh, struggling. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that was really it. So, no, I was so, gonna, you know, I was right just gonna ask. I got dropped. You were you re-released that song on the the um the remastered version of Seventh Avenue, right? Actually, I didn't. So what happened was, you jump ahead a couple years, and all of a sudden, I'm doing really well. My records are selling. I'm getting booked. The same label that tried to drop me, or that did drop me, wanted to re-sign me. And they went through all this, you know, rigmarole to try to resign me, and I, I wouldn't do it. Well, what they did was they put the same record out again. <laughs> <laughs> and they put. I that have song it. On that's it. the one I have. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. That's the version of it I have. Well, the funny thing was, is then all of a sudden people discovered that album because the first time around, the record only did twenty thousand, but then when they re-released it, it did like another sixty thousand records. So, anyway, that's just label industry politics stuff. But then I sort of realized, I was like, wait a minute. So if I kind of do this token rap rock song, all of a sudden I'm pulling in this sort of new audience. You know, those that don't really like rap but like rock. All of a sudden I was getting, I was picking up new fans. And I'm like, this industry is so small. You know, it's so tiny. It's so hard to make it. That I was like, man, I got to do whatever it takes to like to survive. And then it became sort of my mo from there on out to always kind of do like the token rap rock song <laughs> on each album. You know what I mean? But then the other thing I noticed was like, um, I just was not, you know, at the time really connecting with the other Christian rappers. There was always this kind of weird distance, at least I perceived it as, between me and them. For whatever reason, you know, I noticed it just, I w but I noticed these rock guys were just so much easier to get along with because that's yeah. who I was touring with, you know, and I noticed there was just not the, you know, the, the judgmentalism, the, you know, all the hoops you had to jump through for, for respect. It was just like these, I hate to say it, white rocker bands were just like, dude, you're awesome. We like you. You want to go on tour? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, then, I was gonna ask you because in Turn It Up, you say it. You say in Turn It Up, rappers treat me like a disease. That was one of the things. I mean, I'm sure that I, yeah. I wanted to ask you that. Well, I'm sure I'm. Pro you know, perception is reality. I'm sure it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And you know, us rappers were all sensitive little baby girls. So, <laughs> or maybe it was completely on spot on, but. Yeah, to a lot of degrees, I was not, I did not feel embraced. You know, guys would write songs about me, dissing me. I would get people talking smack on message boards about me, you know, and I never dealt with that from any of the rock bands. And that's when I realized I just had a better audience in that sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized if I stayed on this path of like just rap for rap sake in the early 2000s, I was going to struggle and probably just never turn the corner. And then what started, again, like I said, so what started happening was these rock bands started reaching out to have me do guest features, which those rock mm -hmm. bands were like, you know, those were really good looks. Um, like case in point, Pillar, you know, on their second album asked me to do a verse. Stay up. Yep. Which actually was supposed to be T-Bone. T-Bone was supposed to be on that song. Oh, because he was on the label, right? Was it Flicker? Mm -hmm. Flicker yeah, so Flicker, Flicker was like, we want our guy on the song, but T-Bone just was like, I don't know if he was flaking out or he wasn't answering or just who knows. I was friends with Rob from doing shows, again, going back to me connecting with the rock bands better. You know? Yeah. And Rob's like, I'd rather have you on it. Can you just, 
he said, can you just demo something and we're not going to tell the label? And then once we get it done, we'll show it to him. And, and that's exactly what happened. I went and I stayed with him. I did the verse. Um, I helped him write another part on a different song. You know, and when they showed the label, the label was like, oh, yeah, we like that. And then the label actually went to me and said, hey, we'll sign. This was when I was dropped. They said, hey, we'll sign you if you'll do a rap rock project. They're like, we won't sign you as a rapper, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So that's when, again, I was like, ah, back to, you know, like, again, I'm back to square one. Like, I have to do these these silly hoops that I got to jump through in the industry. But, you know, I was actually even willing to do it. I was willing to do a rap rock project. In fact, even when I got dropped by Essential, I went back to them and said, look, I know you had to drop me because of the parent label. I was like, would you sign me if I did a a rap rock thing? And they still said no. But anyway, (laughs) three years later, you could have went the route of, uh, you could have went the route of manifest who went, from rap to straight rock and then a little bit well, in between. And you know what? When I knew Manifest, he was just a straight rapper kid. Yeah, I know. I His him first and, couple records. And I feel like he's another example of it's like, I hate to say it, but I felt like a lot of times the white guys, we were not allowed to just be rappers. Mm-hmm. We were kind of shoved into a lane to survive, you know? And I feel like, I can't speak for Manifest, but I feel like he was a guy that you know, struggled a bit just as a straight-up rapper from Canada. And the minute he put some guitars on it, all of a sudden he started getting success. Yep. You know, when I he, first he met TFK... anthemic songs. Yeah. And when I first met TFK, Thousand Foot Crutch, you know, mm-hmm. it was like 99, and DJ Dove goes, yo, my guys want to... They want to do a song with you. They think you're dope. And I took one look at him like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> They had, like then bleach they blonde up. hair, and I'm like, I'm like, here's another freaking rock band wants me to do the guest rap. I was like, they probably suck, you know. And I remember hearing one of their songs. I'm like, yeah, this dude can, he can actually rap. Yeah, on that first record, what was it? Set it off. They there was a, a yeah. straight rap rock record, and then they they just kind of dropped it right after that one. Right, but I'm, I mean, again, a lot of people don't know, but Trevor started as a rapper. Like, yeah, he was just a straight-up yeah. rapper. There was no, you know, rap, rock stuff. But again, I don't know. I think it was just, I think because maybe the tone that Toby set, you know, white guys were just not allowed to just be straight-up rappers. It was like you had to be rapper plus this or rapper plus that, you know. Hence, sorry, this really long setup, but... <laughs> <laughs> What are we talking about again? <laughs> yeah, well, that, so I'm trying to explain why I would even remotely do this Peace of Mind record. So all of a sudden, you know, I get I get re-signed. About a year or two later, I get signed to Tooth & Nail, which, again, is a rock label. This, again, goes back to what I'm talking about. Tooth & Nail is a straight-up rock label mm-hmm. with with a hip-hop subdivision. And they brought me in to just to be a pop rapper. You know, they were like, we want somebody that sells records. But again, I was right back in this rock world where they were not hip-hop. You know, there was not a hip-hop world I was in down to the label. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I started getting all this success and things were, you know, turning the corner and collaborations was doing well. And then Pronounce 5-2 did even better. And then I, I was still getting the redhead stepchild treatment at shows. Like, I would be outselling these rock bands by, like, twice as many records. And I would get lower billing. I would get less pay. I would get less looks. And not that it's about that, but I was like, man, rap just keeps getting hit. You know, like, yeah. I was like, just because somebody threw some dumb guitars over a drum beat, all of a sudden it's like they're do- they're they're considered better than me. So that's where peace of mind came from. It was literally my way of going, okay, fine. You want to do that? Then I'll do it. I'll show you I can do it too. You know, it was, it was a bit of a chip on my shoulder, you know? (laughs) And, um, at the time, you know, Brandon was being like super generous with, with the projects. You know, he was like, you want to do a side project? Cool. No problem. And he green, green lit the whole thing, you know? So anyway, I was super nervous about yeah. it, though. 
I I wrote I wrote down a list of all the rap rock bands at the time that dropped something in 2003, like you, to see what sort of company <laughs> you were in. So we we Go got Pillar, Pillar yep. dropped Fireproof. You had yep. Thousand Foot Clutch dropped their second record, which wasn't really rap yep. rock. You had that that band uh, Justified. Um, yep. I know Dis- I Disciple back in the day. Disciple yep. back in the day was sort of rap rock. Then you had 38th yep. Parallel, yep, I which was them. the Christian Lincoln Park. Yep. Pax 217, one of my toured favorites. With toured with them. First tour. Uh, P.O.D. dropped their Payable on Death album. Yep. Um, a band called East West. Um, I vaguely remember them. And uh, that, that's what I got on there. And then I took a note that you did that song with Pillar, Stay Up. But, yeah, so that yep. was... Uh, that that was your competition. Obviously, well, POD was the was the biggest one there. Yeah, and the funny thing is, I I almost was signed to POD's label like almost ten years prior, and to Rescue Records. So I was already very familiar with POD. You know, Sonny was in like one of my first videos in '97. You know, and I looked at POD as one of the bands that did it right. You know what I mean? Like I was like, mm-hmm. Sonny's dope. Super that talented. music is legit. Yeah. They did it way before it was cool. They're enjoying massive success. And um, you're absolutely right. And I was never going into it like, oh, I'm going to beat them at their own game. That was never the idea. Yeah. What I was just trying to do is go, okay, this is what you want. Here you go. I'm not going to do a token song. Here's a whole album. And then once I started doing it, I realized I was completely lost. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because all I knew how to do was write raps. I wasn't really, I didn't know how to really sing at that point. I didn't really know how to write melody, you know? I, I, and I was like, I don't know how these guys do what they do. This is totally out of my wheelhouse. And I had Todd, who was my normal hip-hop producer. And I had Pete, who I had no relationship with. And all Todd was doing was going, here's a hip-hop beat, just write to it and record it, and then we'll build it around your song. And that's what became the whole album. Wow. Which is a really terrible way to do a record. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair to you, uh, you just said that you were a rap guy having no idea how to rock. A lot of these rock bands that faltered out, they were trying to catch that new metal rap rock wave. None of these guys were rappers either, but they were just right. trying to jump on the bandwagon. So right. you're you are the extremely rare case of the total opposite, right? <laughs> right. Of the rap guy, like yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna go make that rock album now. You, you right. are. Well, you I looked at Christian music's Ice T. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I hated that Ice T album. When Ice T, I was a huge yeah, Ice T fan, and when he put out Body Count, I thought it was terrible. I was like, this isn't even good rap rock. Like, this is just bad music. That's what I thought. You know, They're still around. I can't, I can't, I know, right? I was like, I can't be that. And, um, that's why when I look, go back and listen to the album, it feels, to me, it feels a little disjointed. Like I can tell, like there's a song in there. There's a, there's this, just a straight beat still in the song. That's not even our song. It's a gangstar beat. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear it in the song. We never took it out, which is completely illegal. Which, which track was that? Uh, Do you remember? Uh, don't ever give up. Yeah, you know what? I I was taking I, when I was listening to the album right before this phone call. I was taking little notes um, yeah. on a notepad, and for don't ever give up, I put this. Just seems like a signature KJ song of that era, like a song that could have went on any of your albums. And maybe it's because it just straight up has the hip hop beat over it, so it just feels it like a song. It feels like a song that, that could have been on, on Pronounced 5-2 or on Behind the Music, one one of those two. Right. Well, this is before I used to make my own beats, so I would just take instrumentals that I liked. And I, I was a big Gangstar Guru fan, and I loved that song. I can't remember what the instrumental's from. And I was like, well, I'm just going to write it to this instrumental. Well, then, you know, again, the the, the vibe was to record to what I what I recorded to and then, you know, strip it out and then build around it. Todd just never took it out. (laughs) (laughs) 
It would be like as if you wrote a song to Thriller to the instrumental and you just was like, you know what, we're just going to leave Thriller in the song. He, he was going back to his um, production days making the Free at Last record when they used a ton of samples oh, on that record. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and I just, I'm still in awe. That, that, that was not, it was never caught, you know. They even say it on the record. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, a little I, I would, it's just so funny, man. But anyway, um, but I, I, I think a couple songs in, I started realizing, you know, how far out of my wheelhouse I was and that I didn't know how to write the choruses, you know, because I noticed a lot of the choruses for rap rock was like rap verses, sung choruses. And I'm like, I don't have the voice for this. I don't have... Mm-hmm you know, the screaminess, and even when I go back and re-listen to how high my pitch is, you know, when I would rap back then, you know, I feel like some of my tone clashes a little bit with the guitars, like, it's not like, like, we weren't, we weren't working on tones, we weren't working on vocals in that sense, we were just like, get it done, turn it in, and I remember very clearly that Brandon, when we turned it in, was like, kind of, I don't know if he was irritated, but I think he was kind of like, this is not very heavy rap rock record. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's like two or three songs on there that are just like not really rap rock songs. You know? like And even though yeah, it's funny because that's the song I like the most. The song, um, I think it's called uh, Baby Boy, won't you? Uh, we gonna make it. We gonna make we gonna it. We gonna make it. That's my favorite song yep. in there, and it's really not even a rap rock. That's a great song. <laughs> right. It's not at all. Is that is that Todd on the chorus? Yes. Yeah. I knew so it. I, I wrote and doing it. the ad libs. Yes. So I, I would write everything, you know what I mean? Like, I would even write the singing parts, but I was like, I can't, you know. I was better at writing pop, you know, R&B rap type sing parts than rap rock stuff, you know? And And part of it, too, I was like, man... I'm already on the fence with everybody when it comes to like my legitimacy. I was like, all this is gonna do is make me worse. I was really, I was really self-conscious about it. You know, it, it's it's funny you saying that part. I put a note to to mention the baby boy part being being awesome, being the highlight of that track. Right. Well, I really like. I mean, that's a true story. That is essentially, you know, my relationship with my father. And the stuff mm-hmm. we went through, you know, that's really what the song was about. And it was about saying, you know, my dad, you know, and just that time of me growing up in Ybor City and the financial problems and all that stuff. And it, it would be times where my dad would be like, you know, we're going to make it, you know. So, like, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I judge most of my old albums by, like, the lyrics of it, you know, like what the content is. And, you know, can I say yeah. that I was happy with what I wrote? And generally, I was pretty happy with what I wrote on Peace of Mind because I felt like I used a lot of creativity and, you know, I was pretty happy about that. I just wasn't really happy with my execution of it, you know, right. in some aspects. Well, but I mean, you're telling a story on most of the tracks, for the exception of, of Turn It Up, which is like that right. hype track that sort of right. tells tells the story of where you're at at that time, Right. you know. Every everything has a story. I mean, you have you have coming soon, which is a story about the right. rapture, which is right. your most new metal, rap rock sounding song. That that was my right. note on that. Um, you have crucify, which is like a super gripping song about the crucifixion. Can I can I tell you um, about that song, crucify? Yeah. Well, then it's your podcast. You, you tell me whatever you want. Well, I didn't want. Okay, <laughs> I want you to finish what you were gonna say. Keep going. I'll tell you something. About no, I'm done. Crucify. I'm done. Go ahead. Well, okay, so again, at the time, you know, I was still continuously dealing with the Eminem comparisons and, you know, just always a little irritated about that. But this was also right around the same time Lose Yourself came out. Okay. And Lose Yourself obviously was such a massive song. And one thing I noticed about M was that, you know, he would always have sort of like a token song with guitars in it, you know? Yeah. And I remember when Lose Yourself came out, I was like, this song is terrible. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was mad because feel that I, way. I, no, of course it's a, it's probably his best song he ever wrote. But I'm saying at the time I didn't like the way the drum arrangement was because the drum arrangement just goes doom 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 doom, and I thought it was the most irritating track. I thought the music of it was super irritating. Okay. And I was I remember being on the road with Grits at the time when Lose Yourself came out, and I remember getting in like this 
this argument with coffee and I said, like, did you hear this song? I'm like, Ems fell off. Like he's over, dude. And coffee's like, that song is a classic. That song will be talked about for years. I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> should have made, he should have placed the bet. <laughs> I know. Right. But crucify was sort of like, it was the last song I wrote for the album. And it was sort of like that idea. Like I was like, huh. Eminem took something and really painted a picture lyrically with some guitars. I was like, huh, what if I actually tried to paint a picture of the crucifixion with guitars? And that was the last song I wrote. Which, that one I was actually pretty proud of. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you have just on that chorus like those those jabs. It sounds like are there horns in there too with the guitar, like the you know, again in the chorus. That was like as you it, go crucify like, him, was, like yeah. that part. I was struggling so much to um, finish the album because there's only ten songs on there, you know, and yeah. every song basically we recorded we put on there. I was like, I remember doing that last song and just being like, whatever you guys do, just do it. Like I don't care. I'm so sick of this record. I want. Thing was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm in over my head, and that was the only one that we didn't work with Pete on. Okay. And uh, it was a different guy. I think I want to say it was the guy who played guitar for like Casting Crowns or something like that. It was really out of the ordinary. But again, I don't think I was really ever in the studio with Todd except for once or twice. Mm-hmm. I actually recorded some of the songs in Golden Child closet when I think he was still in high school like his brother was running a studio out of his room and I demoed some of the songs there like in his closet and I mean literally next to his clothes like it was, the, <laughs> <laughs> it was anyway that's an insight so, that's that's yeah. an insight <laughs> so the funny thing about you're very hands off exactly Again, the funny thing about that record is just how, you know, how unconventional it was. And by the time we kind of finished it, I was like, have I made a huge mistake here? You know, like, I'm like, I'm just throwing more product into the marketplace. And I don't think there was ever really any ideas of them being like, well, you got to tour it, you know. But I thought, I just made a record. Like, what am I, I got to do these songs now. And I was still touring with like just the DJ, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't have a band yet, so much less try well, to. You never. A you never player. had a band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, I guess that's <laughs> anything else before we go to the infamous photo shoot and talk about that. Uh, I I could just run through my notes on the other songs. Go uh, for it. Go for it. So I said, uh, all right. So I am was probably the heaviest one on the tra- on the yeah. album. I like that, that was one. a pretty heavy Actually. song. Yeah. We talked about Turn It Up. We talked about Don't Ever Give Up. We're going to make it. Coming Soon, I said, was the most rap rock sounding rapture story. Uh, then you have your slow jam, After All, which I think this right. could have been on Behind the Music as well. Yeah. Had that vibe. Yeah. Um, scream, um, which, you know, when you, How Was My Day? How Was My Day? And I, I can promise yeah. you, that I probably tried to write a song just like that in that vein when I was like 16 years old after listening to this song. Um, <laughs> that one was actually just, about my stepfather. It was so angsty. It was angsty. It was actually, yeah, because that, see, that's where I was struggling. I was struggling with tapping into the angst side because as a rapper, mm-hmm. it wasn't really something you did. So I was just like, what, you know, what things make me emotional? And, um, that was, yeah, that was literally a song about, and I had never written about that or ever since, was just, you know, the tumultuous wow. kind of, you know, incendiary relationship with my stepfather. But yes, I'm sorry, continue. And, and who does who does the hook on that? That's me. That's you singing that? Yeah, yeah. So you did pretty well on that. I didn't even think it was, I didn't even think it was you. Well, that's the first time I kind of, I kind of really was able to do it. These kids are screaming behind me. Do you hear that? I know. They're trying to they're trying to do their, their rap rock they, impression. They are not happy. They are not happy being swung. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah, so I think that's that actually you know, if anything, probably peace of mind like helps me um 
learn how to use emotion better, you know, in angst. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in then, uh, then you have Will You Go Out With Me, which is just a punk version of your Revenge of the Nerd song. <laughs> yeah, I mer- that's a song I'm pretty embarrassed of. I don't think that was a very good song. Um, I think what I was trying to do there was like something Beastie Boys would have done, you know, because mm-hmm. they would like... The Beastie Boys, you know, at that point were into the, like their check your head, you know, hello nasty phase. Yeah. And they would always have just some random punk song out of nowhere, you know. Right. And uh, I was like, well, maybe if Beasties can do it, I can do it. I'm like, I know nothing about punk. As, again, it's just, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But sorry, did, continue. Do, uh, did any of those songs work with your wife? Were you able to do any of these songs to your wife? <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds, would point, you please dance with me? <laughs> I think at that point she probably checked out on the three million things I had going on. I, I think I stopped <laughs> running things by her. <laughs> um, uh, then you have where where you're gonna go, which was like yeah. the obligatory reggae track on a rap rock album. Yeah, it was um, a dumb again, dumb idea. I think I'd listened to like one three eleven song and thought, oh, I could do that too. Have Have you ever <laughs> tried anything with reggae again since then? No, because you understand, man. I grew up in South Florida, so like I grew up around real Jamaicans, yeah. and like real, and grew up probably more than anything on a steady diet of reggae music and dancehall music. So like for me, authentic roots reggae, dancehall, like I understand the culture beyond just the music. And so I, at the end of it, I was like, what the heck was I thinking, right? You know, like again, you're you're listening to somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing. And it's figuring it out as it goes along and then just running out of ideas, you know. And, uh, but one thing Brandon did well was, like, he always gave you artists, probably he gave you enough freedom to hang yourself, you know what I mean, as the, as the saying goes, give you enough rope <laughs> to hang yourself. So he was not the type to sit there and be like, you got to do this. But I do remember him thinking, he was saying that he was disappointed it wasn't heavier, the record wasn't heavier, you know. Right. But part of this was Brandon's fault because Brandon was like, "Oh, we'll we'll get models to be your band for your cover." That's what his I, I remember him saying that like we're gonna hire a bunch of male models that look amazing and make that your band. <laughs> <laughs> that that just seems like a, a strange idea. Anyway, like it seems it almost seems weirder than what you are about to tell everybody. Right, which is brings us to the photo shoot. So when it came finally time to do a photo shoot for this album, and when I say photo shoot, this wasn't like we went and stood in front of a green screen and took three pictures and walked out. Like, this was an entire day's worth of a photo shoot. And we kind of were like, there's no real band to do a photo shoot with. You know what I mean? Like, the guy who played drums lived in Ohio. I never met him one time. Todd, obviously, you know, is my boy, but he looks nothing like a rock dude. He's like a pretty boy. He looks like a wide receiver in the NFL or something like that. You know, <laughs> and then Reed Shippen, who was like a, who mixed the whole record, who was like a really celebrated engineer at the time, or still is. He was a very high-end engineer. You know, he was like, well, I can do, I'll, I'm down for the photo shoot. And we're like, that's only three people. And Reed had, didn't play a single instrument on the record. And Reed's like a bald-headed dude from church. He's a scary looking like dude from Jersey sort of. So we're like, we have three people and none of us look the part. And so the only part we were hoping on was that Pete was going to show up because Pete was a legit rock guy. You know, Pete was in Grandma Train, went on to be in a band with Marcos from POD. You know, Pete looked the part. And I remember the day of, he just was like flaked out. Which I don't even know if he flaked out. Maybe he wasn't like told properly or whatever. So like with one guy that legitimately should have been the photo wasn't even there. So we called up my other engineer who didn't do anything with the record, who just was like my mix guy for all my other stuff. And we're like, what are you doing today? He's like, nothing. Like, you want to be in a photo shoot? (laughs) All right. (laughs) So that was it. Like the whole thing was, it was made no sense at all. And we like, we legitimately went to locations in Nashville and like shot shots and like, we did a studio shot. I mean, I don't, I'm sitting there with a New York Yankees jersey on for no particular reason. Did not watch baseball. You know, <laughs> and I'm, one thing I remember very clearly, I'll never forget this. And I, this is 
summed up my relationship with Todd was that Todd went, like, right before we took the pictures, he was doing dips because he had a cut-off shirt. And he was doing dips to pump. And I go, what are you doing? Like, why are you working out? He goes, oh, man, you got to pump the guns. Like, yeah, Todd, Todd, Todd looks the part. Todd I know, looks the part. and I'm like, he was the he only looks, guy. He that looks like the front was, man. <laughs> he was the only guy that actually was smart enough to think about what he was gonna look like, right? And uh, I just was like, well, this is a terrible idea, you know. I thought I remember thinking like, this is, this is, if this work, I remember thinking very clearly like, if this works, there's nothing real in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> You might as you might as well quit. <laughs> I was like, it's over. Like you can just fake your way through anything. I'm like, I'm a rapper, not even recording the rock beats, not even writing rock songs with a fake band, and I'm not gonna tour it. And I was like, if this works, this shows that people are so easily fooled. And sure enough, it did. I'm I'm holding the CD in my hand, and Todd is front and center in the picture right. anyway, and he Absolutely. he looks like the front man. You look like you might be the DJ in the back. <laughs> well, I had no idea what I was supposed to look like because in my head I'm like, I you know there's still sort of some artistic integrity like in my heart I'm like I'm not gonna completely fake it and like show up in flannel and like a scully, you know what I mean like but I'm like how in the world yeah. do I kind of thread this line between the two worlds and I ended up not really looking like anything. You're right. I probably look like Limp Bizkit's DJ. But, but why aren't you front and center is what I want to know. Like, it really is focused on Todd. I mean, and he looks I, good. He looks the part. I have, I have no, to be honest with you, I have no idea. I was so lost during that photo shoot. Like, this is such a ridiculousness. Between Todd's, you know, like, ego stroke and two people that have nothing to do with the the band, I'm like, <laughs> this is such a, I, it was, it made no sense to me, you know? So, you're right. I'm not in the middle but I think part of me didn't care. Like I wasn't like I didn't I wasn't walking around going, I can't wait to be the front man for peace of mind. You know what I'm saying? I was like, here's just another piece of here's another way for me to have a creative outlet. That's really the way I looked at it. You know. And you were, you were I, I never to, you were you were purposely trying to get cut in half on the back on the back cover of, of the C D. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I guess so. But um long story short, we end up uh we end up, you know, Records turned in. It is what it is, and uh, you know they're going full out with it. They're sending it off the radio, and and um, you know, and I did an actual. We we they used to do these things called sales conferences where you would present new music to the salespeople, and they would in turn sell it into the stores, or radio would be there, or whatever. So we did a we did a whole band, like we did a whole fake band, an actual band, you know, and played two of the songs, and I'll never forget. Because that was right when Cross Movement signed with Tooth and Nail also. <laughs> it was the only record they ever put out with Tooth and Nail. And so we had to both do our showcase the same night. And this was when, like, tracksuits, like, velour tracksuits were really big, you know? When dudes would wear the matching, yeah. you know, full tracksuits. And so I was at GMA at that showcase, like, in a silver tracksuit, like, velour, with Timberlands on, and, like, maybe a gully hat and i remember literally ambassador looking me up and down because we were both about these like what are you about to do like why in the world are you dressed like that and you're about to front this rock band and i'm like did you know them previously oh yeah i'd known them since you know i was still a youth passer yeah you know i met them before i even had a deal so it was never like okay it was never like weird i think we knew each other well enough that he could kind of like look me up and down like, really, bro, this is what you're about to do. (laughs) And I was like, just, just leave me alone, man. (laughs) So are there any videos or pictures of this thing actually Uh, happening? There is, there is, there's one picture. I'll put it up on the podcast. Um, There is one picture and I never forget because we hired some bass guy to play this black guy with dreads and they were like, he'll look cool if he plays with you. And I remember he showed up with a Ninja Turtle shirt on. And it was like, he actually still looked cool with a Ninja Turtle shirt on, his dreads, and he was playing the bass. <laughs> like the band, oh, you know, mean, the band. You have was, to have like, confidence. <laughs> right. I mean, our execution of the song was great. I just remember like the band was on point and I was like, 
scared to death that I was going to forget my lyrics. And I kind of, I think I did. I remember I kind of fumbled through a few of it lines, but. What were the two tracks yeah. you, you guys did? I, I think I did I Am, and I think I did, I don't remember the other one. I do remember definitely doing I Am. I don't remember the other one. It might have been Scream. I, I honestly don't know. And now it's probably, actually, I have no idea. I'm not even going to pretend like I remember. So it was kind of like in my head, I thought, okay, cool. Now I don't ever have to tour this. I don't ever have to promote it. I don't ever have to play it. You know, they'll send it off the radio. It'll just be one thing. I'll look back and go, oh, yeah, you did it. And it actually started doing well, you know, with no promotion, no real tie-in to me except except for, you know, my own acknowledging of it. You know, the record was actually selling better than most rock bands that were coming out at the time. Nice, nice. And it got, it got radio spins. And, you know, it garnered enough, like, you know, attention that, you know, a couple years later or a year later, people were like, are, you know, when are you doing the follow-up? <laughs> I never played one song ever. I never sold, I think I might have sold like 30 CDs at my table once and that was it. You know? And there were, we were actually at one point, we were going to do a follow-up a couple years later and it was going to be with Aaron Sprinkle. Oh, that would have been cool. Um, and he actually, I remember demoed like a track or something and sent it to me and like we had a phone meeting about it and that was by that point. I want to say it was like '07 or so. And by that point, I wasn't working with Todd anymore. And I think Brandon was like, felt like the record could have been better. And let's get a legit rock guy in there to do it. And I was actually really excited to work with Aaron for that project, like, because he he had this really cool idea of like making it very Beastie Boys ish. Yeah. But with with heavy he's guitars, worked with everyone. Like, Right, and I was like, dude, that's me all day. Like, the breakbeats of a Beastie Boys combined with rock guitars, you know, I'm like, totally. Because Paul's Boutique is one of my favorite records of all time. That's the Beastie Boys mm-hmm. record. And, um, but yeah, people would still be asking me, you know, a couple years. I would say people, I felt like people were still asking me about it like 10 years later. And I finally had to just be like, guys, it's not going to happen. Like, just let it go. It's over. And It, it says something on your Wikipedia page of Peace of Mind. I'll read it to you. Another Peace of Mind album has been rumored, though KJ announced on his podcast that he will only consider writing another if opportunity comes, noting that his solo work is better received. Yeah. Sounds right. I don't know if you actually said it like that. No, I definitely said that. I definitely said that because here's the way I gauged it. You know, Peace of Mind did about, I think, like 20,000, 30,000 records. But my solo stuff, as KJ was doing, up to 150,000 records. So in my head, I'm like, this doesn't make sense to do something else that kind of really ends up taking away from my solo stuff, you know? So, But do you think it would have done better had you called it maybe like KJ52 Presents Peace of Mind or something like that? Maybe just people didn't identify with the name? Well, that's the thing. I wouldn't have done that. I don't think I would have. I, or maybe I maybe I had an idea like that, or maybe Brandon didn't want to do that. But I felt like there was a clear idea that we have to make it two separate things. Like, it can't be... There wouldn't be any cross-promotion, you know? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we did the record relatively cheaper. We didn't spend a ton of money on it, but... Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. I honestly I don't know. I think in my head I started going, Well, I can always just do the token rap rock song on my album and that's enough, you know. And then sooner or later I was like, This is really I don't need to keep doing these songs. Like I gotta stop doing these songs. <laughs> you know? And that's what I did. You usually did them with with a feature, right? Right. You like feature feature a rock guy like Trevor or Right. Rock is on a track. Right. Right, exactly. Well, again, it goes. Oh, what, right, again, yeah. The market, the market changed, and you didn't have. You know, eventually, what happened was what I've always wanted to happen was that you could just be a rapper. Mm-hmm. And then what started to happen is if you started to mix it, if you started to mix rap with anything else, then people actually started getting mad. They're like, "Stop doing that," <laughs> you know. And then I always thought it was really ironic that, you know, years after I had stopped that. Reach came out with their rap rock record. 
you remember that? Yeah, well, Re- Reach changed the whole game, I guess, with everything. But what was what was their rap uh, rap rock record? I think I just remember they took their songs and recut them with guitars. You know, and it was called like I think Maybe. it was like sixteen letters or rock mix or something like that. And I was like, Oh, dang! Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I remember thinking, man, even those guys got to do. They even those guys got to play the game. You know, because there was a time where well, I know that you they've know, done stuff with Family Force Five and and different stuff like that too. I think KB and Tadashi did some heavier stuff with them too. A couple tracks, so they're still yeah, mixing that was around on their record, not as much. This was a right, Reach right, Records right. record. You know, yeah, and that's when I was like, "Dang, even they have to like play the game." And I thought, "This, is, this industry is just so backwards." I was like, "Someday, they'll get it." And of course, it would be like way past my prime when they finally started <laughs> getting it. Yeah, they they see everyone seems to get it now within the last right. like three years or so. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway. But it started yeah, with you, I mean, man. What, no, it definitely didn't start with me. I, if anything, it started with Toby. You know, he's the guy that well, yeah, was Toby's the genre the blender. He's, he's, he's ground zero for all things change. He, he's the guy that's, you know, he, he, we all stand on the shoulders of someone else. That's the reality, you know. Yeah, that, mo- that Momentum album was, was that perfect blending of the two. Right. Of the rap, the rock, a little bit of reggae, a little bit of pop. And right. it put everyone unnoticed, I guess, to, to get a little more creative. Right. And this is going to sound like some old man Jenkins talk, but like I can remember a time where you were considered the worst sellout to even mix, even think about mixing guitars with rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all my guys, all my purest rap friends were just like, that sucks. That music's terrible. They can't rap. And for the most part, they were right. And then I actually started getting irritated because then, you know, I'd be at a show and some worship band or some rock band was like, yo, man, you want to come up and bust the freestyle on our on our 130 BPM rock song? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. And I'm not your token thing to make you cool. <laughs> because well, now you guys play too fast and your drummer's... Too. Right. I'm like, you guys play too fast and your drummer's too... too he can't play rap beats. You know that um you know the the band the worship band King's Kaleidoscope they're dropping a mixtape. Of course, <laughs> of course it's going to have and, Andy Minio is going to be on it. Uh, I think uh, Propaganda and a bunch of guys are going to be on it. So now that's the thing, worship mixtapes. Right. Well, the thing is, you know, uh, it's funny how, again, how much the industry has changed. But you know. For me to survive back in the day, I had to tour with rock bands, and you never heard rap being played, you know, as the dominant thing. And now, that's all you hear. Like, every youth ministry yeah. thing I go to, every youth conference, every person I deal with, it is the new rock. And rock bands are the struggling ones. Like, they're where we were when I started. And they're having to conform to us now. And it's funny, because I've made this joke, but I was like, I've felt like I was in a concentration camp for most of my career having to survive and now I've just been let out and I'm like, what happened to the world? You know, <laughs> you know, so I'm, like, I'm like a guy that's been incarcerated. Flipped. I've been institutionalized for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that rock is rock is the dying breed now. Right. And that this year was the that first year that hip hop's destroying it. Yeah. It was the first year that hip hop's outsold that genre. But anyway, dude, thank you, man. Thank you for jumping on here. Your insight was uh, great. Um, anything else it's before I wrap pleasure. this up? Yeah, I, well, something funny is real quick that uh, my parents owned a Christian bookstore in the mid-2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. So the copy of Peace of Mind that I have actually has a legal notice license on it <laughs> because it's a it's a promotional it's a promotional right. CD. Make so, sure you don't boot like that on Napster. Yeah. So, so a lot of the CDs I have from that era are just straight up, you know, promotional, promotional. items from the Christian bookstore. So, are they That's worth awesome. any money? Probably, probably not. But, but it looks cool. It's a cool story. 
<laughs> yeah, you you you're, um, you know you're out there you're out there slanging them CDs in a world that doesn't want them anymore. Yeah, I know. I, I'm I'm standing next to uh, a what I call my tower of CDs, and I have three towers of CDs just standing next to me. I don't even have a CD player in this room, but I got my CDs on display uh, and a couple amazing. cassettes, couple cassettes awesome. mixed in there as well. Um, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, Check out check out the article on Rapzilla where KJ yep. talks about this too. Uh, the title is KJ 52s fake rap rock band and how he hit number one in Australia for Soul Purpose. <laughs> yes, that's a oh boy Soul Purpose. There's a whole other podcast. That's, that that's that's the next episode. There um, you go. If you don't mind a, a plug for my band since I spoke about it. Do it. Uh, my band's called Process of Fusion. You look us up on Facebook or on Twitter, POF underscore band. I promise you it's not cheesy rap rock in the late 90s. It's much better. We're working on a full-length <laughs> album. It should be out It should be out this winter. And that's it. Hit me up on, on Twitter if you want to talk hip-hop, talk about Rapzilla, talk about whatever. Um, and KJ, you're the man. Thanks for letting me come on and and share. Back at you, bro. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you later. All right. Later. Bye.